As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality, and that's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional-grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research, among them several stand out for relief of occasional minor aches and pains of overexertion, ache action, joint UC, and D-flame. Ache action contains a formula exclusive to Protocol for Life Balance that studies show significantly reduces joint discomfort in as little as five days. Protocol's joint UC is an undenatured type 2 collagen that has been clinically validated for its ability to help maintain healthy joints. And D-Flame has nine plant-based ingredients rooted in traditional herbalism. Each of these products takes its own unique approach to joint stress, flexibility, and mobility. They're available now at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash Protocol for Life Balance for more information and to order. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's podcast is all about eye health. We're going to talk to one of America's foremost integrative ophthalmologists. Yeah, they're few and far between, uh, but we have one in Dr. Rudrani Banik, spelled B-A-N-I-K. Uh, she uh, has all the conventional credentials. She's a board-certified ophthalmologist. Uh, she trained at Brown University, UC Irvine, Johns Hopkins, uh, but she also has specialized training in functional medicine. So she brings together uh, the best of both worlds and what I might term an intelligent medicine approach to eye problems. Uh, her, uh, her practice uh, is in Manhattan, and uh, she also is engaged in a series of research projects uh, looking at um, various aspects of ways to improve vision. Uh, and she has a, a subspecialty within neuro-ophthalmology, uh, which means that uh, some of the work she does partakes of migraines, you know, kind of the intersect between vision and neurology and headaches. Yeah, there's certainly an overlap there. So without further ado, here's Dr. Bannock. Did I miss anything? Dr. Bennett. Um, no, and thank you so much, Dr. Hoffman, for that very kind introduction. That was uh, that was very sweet of you, and um, and I'm very very excited to be here and share with um, with you and your listeners, um, you know, some tips about eye health, as, and perhaps we can delve a little bit into migraine as well. Well, great. Uh, you know, and also it, you're active uh, both in the conventional management of eye problems. You operate at uh, New York Eye and Ear Infirmary. Uh, which is part of the Mount Sinai Health System here in New York City. Uh, but you also see a lot of patients with uh, challenging eye problems, and, and you like to, to, tack, uh, to tackle them. Um, so, you know, first of all, uh, what's a root cause analysis? You talk about it on, on your website. Uh, how does it differ from a usual eye checkup? So, um, so in a regular eye checkup, um, your, your ophthalmologist or optometrist will do an eye exam, which is basically checking vision, checking eye pressure, checking the surface, and then taking a look in the back of the eye and then making a diagnosis and then either prescribing something, a medication or a drop, or perhaps recommending surgery or glasses. So what I do is slightly different. Um, I, you know, if I do see that there's an issue, so 
let's take, for example, a very common condition, which is dry eye. So if I see that a patient is complaining of dry eye symptoms, for example, scratchiness, blurriness, redness, uh, perhaps crusting of the eyes, and then on exam, I find certain indications that their eyes are dry or um, perhaps that their tear film, which is the very surface layer of our um, uh, of our, uh, it goes on the surface of our eye, if that's not uh, healthy or if it's unstable, then I'll kind of, I'll delve a little bit deeper to figure out why do they have this problem instead of simply uh, saying, okay, we'll use a drop or, um, you know, just uh, keep lubricating and, and uh, you know, stay out of your contact lenses. So, so my approach, it does kind of dig a little bit deeper into the root cause. And uh, so, for example, you know, with, since we're talking about dry eye, um, oftentimes the root cause is because the glands within our eyelids, we have tiny little glands in the eyelids called meibomian glands, and we have about anywhere from 25 to 30 glands in each lid. Sometimes those glands are just not functioning properly, and they may not be uh, structurally intact, or they may not be producing oils, healthy oils to lubricate the surface of our eye. So if I do see that um, as part of my exam, as part of my testing, then, then I address it. So it's a slightly different approach. Indeed. And so what evidence is there that nutrition is applicable to eye problems? Because it's kind of a, a novel notion. I mean, uh, it's now uh, actually uh, something that's acknowledged by eye doctors that, for example, in the condition macular degeneration, certain nutrients uh, make a difference. But uh, that's evolved uh, only recently. Yeah, so um, so that's exactly right. So many ophthalmologists and optometrists have really focused on just one eye condition, which is macular degeneration. And uh, there have been some studies looking at the influence of diet and risks of uh, certain kinds of diets uh, with respect to macular degeneration, either um, potentially increasing the risk or, per, per, or potentially uh, protecting against vision loss from macular degeneration. But I think... Um, I think many of us in, in the ophthalmology world are now realizing the importance of other eye conditions in, in, with respect to nutrition. So, for example, most, um, most ocular diseases um, do develop as people get older. And the reason they develop is because of oxidative stress. And oxidative stress happens in all of us. It's actually a normal uh, physiologic mechanism. But what happens is if there's too much oxidative stress and our bodies can't handle it, basically, with uh, antioxidants to neutralize that stress, we, if we can't recover from it, then um, slowly our tissues start to get damaged. And, and eventually, if they're permanently damaged, they start to degenerate and then the cells die. And so um, nutrition and so, is and so, so important. And so the eye, of course, is, it's not exempt from... What happens to all the rest of our organs due to uh, the effects of lifestyle, pollution, uh, and poor diet, lack of exercise, sleep considerations? All these will impact the eye, which is a very sensitive organ, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the eye is, um, you, you said it perfectly, I mean, it's so susceptible to all of those things, um, external as well as internal. So, for example, internal, you can think about blood pressure or blood sugar if someone is diabetic or cholesterol level. So, our eye is very susceptible to all of that, that type of damage. And each tissue within the eye, so the eye is very delicate. It has many different types of tissues. For example, there's the cornea in the front of the eye, the lens, which helps us to focus in the retina in the back of the eye, and many other structures in between. Each tissue has um, uh, an in inherent potential to recover from oxidative stress and some tissues more than others. But what happens is with cumulative damage over time, our eyes just cannot 
keep up and just can't uh, continue functioning at a very high metabolic level, which they're used to functioning. And so that's why nutrition is so important. So now I think there's a lot more research uh, being done in terms of dietary patterns and habits with respect to eye conditions. So uh, that includes cataract, um, uh, you know, what nutrients may potentially protect us from cataracts. It also includes dry eye, uh, you know, how may our diet affect dry eye. And then, um, and then also glaucoma. And in addition to macular degeneration, which is what we we're talking about before. So, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's just an emerging area in ophthalmology. So, so I think, uh, within the next probably, um, 10 to definitely by 20 years, we'll understand a lot better about what types of nutritional interventions really can benefit. So again, we're right still at the forefront of all of this. Um, and, and, you know, I'm really excited to see where it goes, but, you know, in my training, what I've done is, um, you know, I have the traditional medical training in ophthalmology and neuro-ophthalmology, but I've incorporated a lot of functional medicine um, principles into my um, treatment regimens. And so basically, I'm extrapolating the work that's been done for uh, general medical health and specifically brain health and using a lot of those principles to try to promote vision health because uh, many people actually probably don't know this, but the eye is a direct extension of the brain. Mm -hmm. So basically, whatever, you know, is going on in terms of keeping the brain healthy would potentially uh, benefit our vision as well. Well, they say that the eye is the window to the soul, but the eye is also uh, the window to the cardiovascular system. Uh, it's the window to, uh, as you say, the brain, because changes uh, that are externally apparent in the eye, it's a lot easier than doing a, a brain biopsy. Uh, or doing, uh, you know, taking a, a piece of uh, heart muscle uh, out of a person because you can, you know, dilate the pupil and, you know, use your special uh, devices to look directly at the retina and all these delicate structures within the eye. And they may provide you with feedback about what's going on, right? Yeah, I mean, the eye is, um, it, you know, it's just so readily available in terms of diagnosis or helping to, to diagnose all many different systemic conditions. So, um, I was actually just creating a list today of the, 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 I don't know, the probably 200 systemic conditions that can be diagnosed based on an eye exam. So, uh, you know, hypertension, diabetes, those are just the tip of the iceberg, but so many inflammatory conditions, for example, sarcoidosis, mm -hmm. um, there are certain infectious conditions like Lyme disease or syphilis, mm. uh, autoimmune conditions, even things that you may not think would have a connection with the eye. So, for example, bowel disease, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, um, these conditions can have manifestations on an eye exam. So, uh, it's really, you know, it's, I, you know, one of the reasons why I love ophthalmology so much is because the eye really is linked to, to the rest, the rest of the body. It's not isolated. And I get to work with many different types of practitioners across the board in managing my patients. So it's, it's really, um, it's a wonderful collaboration. Indeed. Uh, there's a new phenomenon, uh, which is computer vision syndrome. And uh, it's exacerbated by the fact that, I mean, screen time is just astronomical. I mean, I check my screen time. I do a lot of my work on a computer uh, and I get a report every week. And it says uh, this week you've reduced your screen time by 14 minutes. You only were looking at your screen for five hours and 10 minutes this week. <laughs> you know mm -hmm, going, uh -huh. <laughs> that's not so good. You know, the, were the eyes really designed to look at uh, brightly lit uh, screens indoors uh, without uh, looking at horizons and greenery and sunlight? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that that's very paleo. 
No, no, not at all. So our eyes were, were really designed to, um, to be hunter-gatherers, not to be looking at things up close all the time uh, for prolonged, you know, for hours at a time. So just an interesting uh, statistic, you mentioned, you know, five hours of screen time. So the average amount of time that uh, an adult in the U.S. spends on a screen is a staggering 11 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. And so well, that's you know, not that's even smart to, so doesn't even include the TV time. I mean, this is, we're talking about my exactly. iPad. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it all adds up. So, so again, our eyes were not designed to do that. So, so there are certain, you know, repercussions of, of this increased screen time society that we're part of. And part of that is this epidemic of a growing epidemic of myopia. And so myopia which, which is Which I am an exemplar of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, and was, myself the, as well. I was the first kid well. in my class to have glasses and braces. I had that ignomy of being, <laughs> uh, you know, a bucktooth kid with uh, glasses and metal mouth. Mm, well, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you're not alone. I mean, there, there's many, many people who nowadays, especially children, uh, need glasses at an earlier and earlier age for myopia. And so, um, you know, there are some theories out there about why, you know, the numbers have gone up so much. So I think um, in the year 2020, I think it's estimated that 28% of the world's population is myopic. Mm-hmm. And in the year 2050, it's estimated that 50% of the world's population will be myopic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy to think yeah. that. And, um, you know, part of that people believe is because when we're focusing up close, there is a process that happens in, in within our eye, within a muscle in our eye called accommodation. So we're constantly accommodating when we're looking at something up close or even at, you know, at intermediate distance, for example, if we're looking at a computer screen a little further away, that still triggers this accommodation. And with prolonged accommodation, what's thought to happen is that the, the shape of the eye actually changes. So it gets longer. And that lengthening of the sclera, the white part of the eye, is associated with worsening myopia. Mm -hmm. So perhaps, and there's actually, it's very interesting, there have been some studies done, not in the US, but um, in some Asian countries, where they looked at children with high levels of myopia or progressive myopia, and they kind of looked at, you know, how much time do they spend indoors versus outdoors, and what they found was that the, the kiddos who actually spent more than two hours a day outdoors had less um, mm-hmm. uh, in myopia and worsening of progression of myopia than the ones who spent more time indoors. So one of the treatments actually uh, in the ophthalmology community for myopia is tell your kids to go outside and spend more time outdoors, get some yeah. fresh air, you know, play some I, games, I, look in the distance. I think I set the stage for that by uh, reading Tolstoy's War and Peace uh, at the age of 11, I think it was, you know. so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a little too early. Uh, so, uh, well, okay. You know, it's claimed that, uh, you can reverse nearsightedness with certain programs, certain eye exercises, and some people even purport that certain vitamins, nutrients can fix it. Uh, you're holistic, but, uh, do you have reason to be a little skeptical about those claims when it's pretty advanced? Um, so I have not yet found um, any holistic treatments to be effective. I wish I I could. Mm-hmm. I, I've looked, um, and that's realistic. You know, really. yeah. Yes, and I've I've read. Um, you know, there, there's a book that was written by William Bates, um, yeah, well, an sure. ophthalmologist. The Bates method, uh, which yeah. is, mm-hmm. Yes, the Bates method, which is very popular amongst holistic um, practitioners. But um, you know, I've read it. I've tried to understand it, but unfortunately, it is not mainstream. It's still considered. Um, Kind of alternative, uh, an alternative approach, meaning substituting for uh, the traditional medical approach. And so, 
um, and also in, in his book, you know, he did have some wonderful kind of um, suggestions for, you know, re relaxing the eyes and improving uh, eyesight, but um, it really has not panned out in terms of scientific evidence to support that. Um, so unfortunately, once the shape of the eye changes, uh, there is, I wish there were an exercise or some exercise regimen we can do to make it change back, but so far, not yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, that being said, you know, sometimes people get something as they do get older, uh, they develop something called second sight, where they may not have been able to see very well at a particular distance. And mm -hmm. then gradually over time, all of a sudden, their vision starts to improve. And right. some of them even are able to kind of, you know, make do without their glasses, or, mm -hmm. you know. And maybe you know, they've really been do very dutifully doing the Bates method for the last three years, and they well, notice that there's an improvement. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, I turned 50, and, you know, here, you know, it's working, finally. Exactly, exactly. So, so the reason behind that, you know, that second sight is actually because the lens inside our eye also changes as we get older. It becomes a little bit less flexible. Uh, it changes shape. Sometimes it gets a little bit thicker in the middle. And those changes can affect our refractive status, so it may potentially improve our myopia. So, you know, if things are getting better, maybe it's the Bates method, but more likely it's the lens that's um, that's just changing physiologically as we get older. And so, if you're if you start to worry you're you're not seeing well close, you know, you're what is called farsighted. Uh, are you having problems with reading? You need reading glasses. Is this a sign that you've been? you know, eating a bad diet or you've had too much oxidative stress? Because it seems to me that it's pretty inevitable. You know, it just seems to be part of the process of, of aging. Or is it a sign of some premature degenerative process? And, you know, mm -hmm. maybe if we were on healthier diets and, you know, didn't spend so much time peering at objects in dim light, uh, mm -hmm. we wouldn't get it. Yeah, so, um, so this is another myth that a lot of people believe is that, um, you know, people end up needing reading glasses because they're spending too much time looking at things up close or, mm -hmm. you know, they're something in their eyes degenerating and their eyes are getting weaker. Um, in fact, what's happening is it's, it's similar to the lens change I was just talking about with second sight. So, uh, as the lens gets stiffer in the eye, it just can't focus as well up close. So it loses its accommodative power. And basically, you know, this condition of needing reading glasses, it's called, in medical terms, it's called presbyopia. Presbyopia, and, like Presbyterian. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, like yeah. Presbyterian. Um, but in fact, it happens to everyone. And so, as you know, eventually it will happen to everyone. If you live long enough, it will happen to you. So what I tell people is, in terms of eyes, three things are inevitable. Presbyopia, cataracts, and wrinkles. We are all going to get them. Mm -hmm. So if we live long enough. So most people, by the time they're in their 40s, some people can go into their 50s, um, presbyopia kind of dawns on them, and then they end up holding things a little further away. It's the, you know, my arms just aren't long enough syndrome. Uh, that starts to happen, and, you know, they need more light, especially if they're trying to read a menu in a restaurant, for example. But um, but this is kind of a, a natural process that happens as our eye is changing as, it, as we're getting older. Um, so don't be too concerned. Um, Get a nice pair of uh, of uh, over-the-counter reading glasses. Most people will do very well with those. So, and what about cataracts? Because a lot of people also look at cataracts as uh, a sign that you know maybe they're they, they're exposed to too many free radicals. They haven't taken enough uh, antioxidants. Certainly, we know that mm -hmm. uh, smoking uh, can accelerate the progression of cataracts, uh, and diabetes is associated with cataracts. So, is uh, Inevitably, cataracts a sign of 
you're doing something wrong or you need more uh, antioxidant support? Um, so, uh, not necessarily. So again, it is a natural part of the aging process, um, in terms of the change in the lens. So, uh, I'll just explain what a cataract is just briefly. Sure. So a cataract is, so normally the lens inside our eye is clear, it's transparent, uh, similar to a clean window if you're looking out the window. But as we get older, that lens start to, starts to become a little bit opaque. So it becomes a little bit yellowish in color and then it progresses. And in more advanced cases, it can become brown or rarely even black um, if it becomes more pacified. And and it is absolutely true that uh, one of the reasons why that happens is because of oxidative stress. But there are many other reasons it can happen as well. For example, UVA and UVB exposure, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps not enough um, uh uh, I was mentioning before uh, antioxidants in our diet, but um, but basically, um, it is possible I think to retard the progression of cataract by eating a healthy diet. I mean, I, I wouldn't tell someone not to do it, but the bottom line is it happens to everyone, mm-hmm. and um, you know it may not be symptomatic until later on. So someone may, some people need cataract surgery earlier, but others can you know can wait until. They're in their 70s, 80s, even 90s. I have some patients who are not bothered by this lens change until they're um, into their ninth or even, you know, ninth decade or even into their hundreds. So, um, so and from what you know, you're saying, it's, 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 it's not a very big deal. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, you're too old to get cataract surgery. You're too fragile. Uh, we'll just let your eyesight, uh, you know, deteriorate. Uh, it's fairly mm-hmm. uh, easy these days to accomplish um, cataract surgery using newer high-tech methods, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very straightforward procedure. It's, it's probably the most, um, it's the number one elective surgery done in the world. Mm. Uh, and, but, you know, there are considerations. So, you know, for one to have cataract surgery, they need to be healthy. They need to um, be able to undergo, even though it's a straightforward procedure, they need to have medical clearance and be able to undergo some mild sedation in some cases. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's not, it's a very effective procedure, but not necessarily for everyone okay uh now there is again you know in the holistic realm and i think you're i think you're sort of a crossing guard in this regard i think you evaluate everything on its merits you're very open you know unlike some doctors who are trained conventionally i think you're very open to uh, alternatives um there's the belief that you can if you have cataracts you can avert surgery by using certain eye drops in particular i think they're carnosine eye drops they're mm-hmm. touted in articles on the World Wide Web, uh, and with some research that suggests that they really dissipate cataracts. What's what's your candid opinion of that? So I don't think the research is quite there yet. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if it truly worked, um, everybody would be buying these drops, and whoever was manufacturing them would be a billionaire many times over. And, you know, we would basically um, eliminate the need for cataract surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's simply not what we're seeing. Um, you know, that being said, there are some other compounds that are being investigated. Yeah, there, it, that, I, I've read that there's yeah. some things that are plausible, uh, uh, you know, future. But, but these are not over the counter. They're not vitamins. They're not supplements. They're, they're very um, sort of molecularly engineered compounds that actually attack the cataracts tell us about that yes yes so so that um what i think what you're alluding to is there were some studies done in um in uh, rodent in an animal model where uh, they had diabetic cataracts and they applied this compound and i'm blanking on the name i believe mm-hmm. it's um in a scene but i'm don't don't quote me on that 
Okay. And they, they had a, a drop formulation of this um, that they applied, and they found that it basically dissolved their cataracts. Hmm. Uh, but what happened was when they, you know, they tried to use this compound um, on humans, it really did not translate. So yeah. there was there was some, you know, disconnect there. Um, it seemed to work in a basic science, in a, in, a, in a lab, in an animal lab model, but not necessarily in humans. So you know, there's some other things maybe that need to be tweaked in terms of physiology or, you know, route of administration, I'm not sure. But I, I do think, um, along with, you know, some of the other conditions I've talked about, I think that over the next decade or so, we're going to see some pretty big advancements in these areas in terms of uh, reversing or curing presbyopia, in terms of reversing or curing cataracts. So there is absolutely um, hope for people, <laughs> you know, to, to, to improve their vision uh, without surgery for example. So. That's exciting. All right. Well, there's so many other conditions that I want to tackle with you. Uh, we have at our disposal an expert on eye problems. Uh, she's uh, both conventionally trained as well as receiving specialized training in functional medicine. So she approaches this problem from an intelligent medicine perspective. Uh, we'll return to our discussion of eye health with today's guest, Dr. Rudrani Bannock. And Dr. Bannock, uh, before we sign off for part one, can you give us uh, your website? So pe because there, there's lots of resources sure. there. Yeah. Sure. So my website is my full name, which is uh, www.rudranibanikmd.com. It's spelled um, phonetically, so, but spell it anyway. Sure. It's R-U-D-R-A-N-I, and my last name, Bannock, B as in boy, A-N-I-K-M-D.com. Very cool. All right. When we return, more on eye health. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. <laughs> 